This morning, we are glad that you are here on this Lord's Day, and we are gathered together to worship the Son of God today, to call on the name of Jesus. I want to make a quick announcement as we begin this morning. Uh, usually, we don't do announcements in corporate worship, uh, but this is an unusual season. Uh, and so I want to make sure everybody understands uh, our plans um, in the near future. This past week, the governor is said that he's issuing a new executive order effective tomorrow because of the spike in coronavirus cases. And our understanding at this point is that churches and many businesses are exempt from this order. And so our... Uh, 
plan is to continue as we have been going. Uh, with uh, the measures that we put in place, we want to be extremely diligent about these measures, which are uh, mandatory masks um, and our gatherings. You say, you hypocrite, you're not wearing a mask right now. Um, you know, but I am, you know, when I sit down, uh, mandatory mask in all gatherings. And then just like we're doing this morning, staying spread out, uh, taking prudent measures to do what we can to avoid um, the spread of the virus. And so that's our plan to continue as we've been going with Sunday mornings and fellowship groups. Um, and we're asking folks with symptoms, I want to re reiterate this. Any symptoms with yourself or your family the week prior to, we're asking you to stay at home and not to come. Not because we don't want to see you, uh, but we, because we want to steward the privilege that we have of gathering together and worshiping together and calling on the name of Jesus. I want to say this, that all of this uh, could be reevaluated at any moment as we get new information. Uh, so please be patient with your church. Um, and hold your plans loosely, just like everything else in the, in the pandemic season. If you're a visitor at our church and you're not on our email list, um, you know, uh, try extra hard over the next several weeks to stay connected with a member so that if we do change something, that you don't miss the change. Um, and so uh, there's our announcements this morning. Um, now... We are here today, not for news updates, uh, we are here today for worship, for calling on the name of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 95, Psalm 95. Let's read the first seven verses of Psalm 95 together. This is the word of the Lord. O come... And let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. And let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I want you to notice this morning that the scripture invites us, calls us in this morning to worship our God. Listen to some of the phrases. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. This is a call to worship, a summons to worship God. And so this is a duty that we have. As creatures made by the Creator, we have a duty to worship our God, to bring Him thanksgiving, to bring Him songs of praise, to kneel before Him, to bow before this God 
and give Him worship. This is a duty and it's a privilege that we have this morning to worship our God. But I also want you to notice the why. Why should we worship this God? And I want to draw your attention to this little word, for. Little preposition, F-O-R. It's used twice in the first seven verses. Once in verse 3, again in verse 7. And that little word grounds worship of God. Worship this God. Bring Him thanksgiving. Kneel at His feet. Why? For, verse 3, the Lord is a great God. We should worship Him today because He's a great God. He is a great God. And I want to encourage you and remind you this morning not to be lulled to sleep, that we didn't gather today to worship a tribal deity who owns just a part of the creation like the sea and another God owns the mountains. No, we're worshiping the great God, the high king of heaven and earth, the God who made all things. He is creator and everything else is his creation. He's exalted. He's a great God. Verse 3, worship God because he's great. Verse 7, for he is our God. For he is our God. And I want you to be reminded this morning of the beautiful words of grace, the gospel announcement this morning, that the great God of heaven and earth has become our God through Jesus Christ, through the gospel, that through Christ, through his work on our behalf, we call the great God our God. We call the high king of heaven our father in heaven. We call the creator our Savior. This is why we worship Him today. Because of His greatness and because of His goodness. And so let's bring Him the praise that is due His name this morning. Let's worship our God. Pray with me now. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to You today in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask for grace even now that You would awaken us to Your matchless glory, to Your matchless greatness, to Your matchless goodness, Lord. God, our deepest prayer as Your people, as Your church today, is that Your name would be hallowed in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds, and with our mouths, Lord. And so we cry out today, hallowed be Your name. Hallowed be your name, Lord. God, we pray for grace that you would save this meeting this morning from falling to the ground in vain. And that you would press out everything common, Lord, in our minds and in our hearts this morning. And that you would remind us that we are worshiping the consuming fire. That we are worshiping Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, we ask that you would manifest this morning your greatness and your goodness. Lord, if you don't reveal it, if you don't manifest it, Lord, it'll be cold facts in our minds. And so we ask for your help this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you have been so kind to us. You've given us the greatest gift the greatest thing that you could have given us, Lord, you have given us through Christ.
You've allowed allowed us to know you, Lord. You have caused us to know you. And that's our boast this morning, Lord. Not in our own righteousness, not in our own wisdom, but that we know you, the true and the living God, through Jesus Christ. And we want to know you more, Lord. We have tasted and and we, we have seen your glory And we desire, Lord, that in our hearts and our lives, Lord, that we would know you more, that you would reveal your greatness and your goodness to us even more, Lord. And so we pray this morning that you would work powerfully in this church through the preaching of your word, that you would establish our hearts in faith this morning, that you would reveal yourself to your people. Lord, you have placed us in this season as the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. You have placed us in this pandemic season, Lord. And we want to pray accordingly today. God, we pray for our government leaders, specifically in our state. Lord, we pray for these men and women that you have made leaders in the state that we dwell in. Lord, we ask God for grace. Lord, we ask for your compassion to be poured out on this state. Lord, we ask that you would fill our leaders with wisdom. Your wisdom, Lord. The wisdom that comes from above. Not the wisdom of the earth. Not the wisdom from below. Lord, we ask that you would give these leaders skill and wisdom to make prudent decisions. Lord, please help them. Give them wisdom to lead. Lord, we pray for the frontline health workers in our state, God. Lord, this has been happening since March of this year. And these brothers and sisters are several months in to an extraordinary season in the vocation that you have placed them in. Lord, we thank you for the workers, even in our own church. And Lord, we want to pray, God, that you'd fill them with your strength, Lord. That they would serve you in the strength that you supply so that you're glorified in all things. Lord, help them to serve in this season unto your glory and unto your praise. Lord, we ask that you would fill them with your compassion. That you would help them not to grow numb to suffering, Lord, but that you would give them your heart, Lord Jesus, of pity and compassion upon the sick. And Lord, we, would, we pray, God, that you would use them greatly to imitate Jesus Christ in their workplace among the suffering. And Lord, we want to pray for our local church. Lord, we pray for this church and we ask, God, that this season would not be a season of disunity for our church. Lord, we look all around us and and even in this church, Lord, believers have different opinions, different levels of warning, different thoughts. Lord, help us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Help us to forbear and love one another. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name today. Lord, we pray that the hearts of all would be encouraged 
as Christ is exalted this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and let's worship the Lord.
didn't sing that last song loud, I don't know how you do it. I can feel my mask like, come on. All right, Proverbs chapter 1. <clears throat> We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1 and focusing in on verse 7. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Let's read it and then we'll pray. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Father, this is your word and your word to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to consider this truth. Help us to tremble before your word. Help us to know you, Lord, more deeply and intimately through your word. Please help us, God. We love this truth. God, help us to consider it together. Lord, please give us guidance. 
Give us conviction. Give us comfort. Lord, you know all the things that your people need. Holy Spirit, please come during this time as we meditate on this truth and deal with us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Let me just give you a little bit of a plain sense here. Just what, what do we see here in this verse? It says, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is this phrase that's all over the Bible. And whatever it means, we'll get there in a minute. Whatever the fear of the Lord means, it speaks about it positively here. This is a good thing. The fear of the Lord. And it says here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So, so the fear of the Lord, whatever that is, is a foundation for something. It's the beginning of something. It's the, a basis for something. And it says here, it's the basis for knowledge. So you want to be a man or woman full of knowledge and wisdom? Well, it flows out of the fear of the Lord. You can't have that sort of life of wisdom and knowledge without the fear of God. So an example random example would be the wisdom to do justice, right? So think about, the, that's a phrase from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that Solomon had the wisdom to do justice. And that's a hot topic uh, in, our, in our day right now and what's going on right now. But I want you to understand this, that according to Proverbs 1-7, if you do not have the fear of the Lord, you cannot have the wisdom to do justice. If you don't have the fear of God, you cannot have the wisdom to do justice. And so Christians um, bowing at the feet of those who do not fear God to learn about justice is wrong. Because Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then it goes on to say, fools, second half of the verse, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now this... This despising of wisdom and instruction can be played out a couple of different ways. So one way would be somebody that just doesn't care. They just don't care about wisdom. They don't want anything to do with learning. Learning is boring. It's something that they don't want. Okay? That's one way it could look. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this was certainly me as a young man. Who cares about wisdom? Who cares about learning? Give me baseball and fun. That's all I want. Okay? That's fools. That's a foolish thing. Another way it can play out is imagine someone who seemingly loves knowledge. They seem to love mental rigor. They love seeming smart or, or, or learning or the intellect. Like those things are important to them. So imagine that. But actually they hate the true wisdom of God found in his word. Okay, so that would be another example. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The true wisdom and instruction that comes from God's word. So an example of that would be uh, someone who's, who claims to be devoted to science, and yet they reject basic scientific facts like um, male and female, something like that. A hundred years ago, there was a, a pastor, uh, Henry Ironside. He said this. I thought it was a good little quip. He said, science means exact knowledge. To call by such a name the wild guesses of evolutionists and infidel biologists is but word prostitution. So, ouch, right? Fools despise wisdom and instruction, though they can sure seem like they enjoy 
the intellect. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Brothers and sisters, memorize it. Now, let's pause there on that verse and let's zoom out for a minute. And I want to talk to you some about the, uh, the bigger picture of, of the book of Proverbs as a whole. So let's just zoom out and think about the book of Proverbs as a whole. What is a proverb? What is a proverb? John MacArthur defined it like this. He said it's a simple moral statement that teaches fundamental realities about life. Okay, we can go with that. Simple moral statement teaches fundamental realities about life. Now, usually they're comparisons. Okay, in fact, the word proverb itself means to be like. So there are comparisons. Like there's a proverb that says, uh, like smoke in the eyes is the employer of a lazy man. Okay? So it's a comparison. Okay? So I want you, I want you to think about uh, a proverb as a, a pithy statement, a, a thought-provoking uh, statement. And you can have all kinds of proverbs from all kinds of people, but these are the proverbs from God, from the mouth of God. Okay? Now, the structure of the book, the book's mainly attributed to Solomon, Chapter 1, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Then you have nine chapters, and it says it again in chapter 10, verse 1. Almost like you're starting a new section. It says the Proverbs of Solomon. So they're mainly attributed to Solomon. If you think about Solomon, Solomon was a man who began with the fear of God and gained knowledge. First, first Kings chapter 3 shows Solomon humbly before God saying, I'm just like a small child. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. I need wisdom from you, God. You feel that fear of God. We'll talk about the definition in a minute. But you feel that, right? He fears God, and God gave him wisdom and knowledge and instruction. I want to I read something else about Solomon. So right after that, in First Kings chapter 4, just to give you a feel for where we're coming from in the book of Proverbs, look, look at uh, this is First Kings 4.29. It says this. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than. Than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezrahite, and Heman, and Kalko, and Darda, and sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Listen to this. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs. And we get some of those in the book of Proverbs. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke, I love this how, this is not just Sunday school knowledge. Look at this. He spoke of trees. From the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and reptiles and fish. So he's speaking about uh, botany and zoology and whatever the other ologies are for these other things. And people, look at verse 34. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So this is Solomon. We get these proverbs mainly attributed to that man that we just read about. Okay? And, and it obviously are coming from God as God gave him wisdom. Now the book can be broken down mainly into two sections. Chapters 1 through 9 is one section. And chapter 10 through 31 at the end of the book is the second section. So it can sort of be divided in that way. 
And what you have beginning in chapter 10, it says the Proverbs of Solomon. And then what you get from chapter 10 to the end of the book is what you typically think of when you think of Proverbs. Those pithy, um, thought-provoking statements, those comparisons. That's what you typically think of. Begins in chapter 10, goes to the end of the book. So what's in the first nine chapters? And what you have in the first nine chapters, it's really interesting, is a father pleading with his son. Fifteen times it says, my son. And you have a discourse from a father to a son. My son, my son, my son. It says it 15 times, 15 little discourses of, of, of fatherly uh, uh, advice to a son in the first nine chapters. And then it breaks into what we typically think of as a proverb. Now, what's the purpose? What's the aim of this book? Let's go quickly. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 6 is the introduction that tells you what's the point of Proverbs. What's the aim of Proverbs. Let's read it. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So what's the point of Proverbs? It's to impart something to the simple. Wisdom and discretion and knowledge and, and on it goes. Guidance, prudence. It's to impart these things to the simple. And the book sort of has even a, a, a lean towards the youth. Did you see that? In verse 4, to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. It's like this, this, the book has this little lean towards the youth to give them wisdom and knowledge. That's why the book starts with a father pleading with his son. But this is the point of the book. And so what you have is you have the intro, verse 1 through 6. And then verse 8 is the first, my son, hear your father's instructions uh, passage. So what's in between? Verse 1 through 6 and verse 8, what's in between? And we got verse 7 right here, which many have called the motto of the book. Okay, This, this is the fear of the Lord. Like, like, remember when Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the parables? It's sort of like that. If you don't understand this verse, how are you going to understand the rest of the book? Listen, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is repeated by him in chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This time it says, not knowledge, but wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is, is insight. We see in Psalm 111, verse 10. You don't have to flip there, but I'll read it quickly. We see that it seems maybe Solomon got this from his dad. As it says here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And even before them, you can go read Job. Job 28, 28. He says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Okay? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. This is a repetition in God's word. And it's even a repetition in Proverbs. It's very important. Okay? So, Proverbs. Let's zoom back in then to the motto. Let's, let's zoom back in to verse 7. The fear of the Lord. What is that? So what did, how do we understand 
The fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Charles Bridges said this. That affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. You like that definition? Um, it's this affectionate, meaning that it's, it's a feeling, it's an emotion that are involved here uh, of reverence towards God that causes the child of God to bend themselves carefully towards God's word. I think it's a good definition. A.W. Tozer called it astonished reverence. The fear of the Lord is astonished reverence. Now, I would encourage you to do your own comprehensive study of the fear of the Lord. Just look up every place in the Bible where you can find fear or feared or fearing. And uh, not all of those will be talking about the fear of the Lord, but you'll find all of them in the Bible and do your own comprehensive study. But I'll give you a little bit of what I got out of that study. Okay, what is the fear of the Lord? It's an emotion. It's, it's an, a feeling towards God, a disposition towards God of reverence, of being awestruck before God, of trembling before his word. That's the kind of thing you should think about. Malachi chapter 2, verse 5, it says both of those together. It says the fear of the Lord, and then it says, it says that he was uh, um, uh, standing in awe of God. So those are used synonymously of the fear of the Lord and standing in awe of God. Almost like a definition in Malachi 2.5. Isaiah 66 verse 2, it says that God looks on those who are humble and crushed in spirit and who tremble at his word. The fear of the Lord, those trembling at the word of God. Think about it, um, uh, maybe a helpful way to think about it would be, uh, have you ever been caught in a really terrifying storm and without shelter? You ever been caught like that? And, and if you have, if you haven't, try to imagine, but you, if you have, that sort of uh, uh, heart-thumping heart uh, fear that sort of comes over you in that moment, it's sort of like that, the fear of the Lord. Me, I, I think about that. Uh, me and my son, my oldest son, uh, 12 years old, had something happen like that recently. We were hiking through the woods. We're pretty deep into the woods. All of a sudden, it starts raining a little bit. No big deal. All of a sudden, clouds go dark. No big deal. And we're just walking along, trying to get back. And all of a sudden, thun- I mean, you've heard one of those before, the thunder that shakes your lamp, you know? Boom! I mean, we sp- it was like we hit a sprint for a second, okay? <laughs> and, I- and it's funny, my- I immediately started saying, great is your faithfulness, oh God, my father. And my son was a little terrified. So that feeling, that moment of I'm not in control here, I'm not in control here, I tremble before this God. That's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. Now you see those examples like, as far as the storm goes, uh, 1 Samuel 12, 18 says God brought a thunder and rain and the people feared God. Uh, you can see something like that in Mark chapter 4, verse 41. You remember this where they're on the boat, Jesus is asleep in the boat, and it says they're terrified. They're, they're afraid because of this mighty storm. They're feeling what I felt hiking, but, but, but more so, right? And all of a sudden Jesus stands up and says, be quiet, and the storm goes down. But they're still feeling their heart beating real fast because it says they looked at Jesus and they were afraid. And they said, who can this be that commands even the winds and the waters and they obey him? It's the, it's the fear of God. Now, as you, as you, as you do that, that study throughout the Bible, the fear of the Lord, you'll come across many things like the fear of the Lord causes the people of God to carefully obey his word. 
They're not flipping about the word. They, they carefully obey the word of God. And I, mean, and I, I put that word carefully there on purpose. Uh, parents of children. Have you ever been talking to your children and they disobey you, right? And you correct them and what do they often say? I forgot. I forgot. And oftentimes your response is, no, no, no. I forgot doesn't get you out of trouble here. Okay? Because sometimes I forgot means you were not carefully listening to your father's word to obey them. You understand that? And so, so the scripture shows the fear of the Lord causes us to carefully obey God's word. It also shows that the fear of the Lord causes us to hate evil. It causes you to run away from sin, to hate what God's hate. You don't want to sin because you tremble before God. In a very healthy sense, the fear of the Lord. Uh, the fear of the Lord in the scripture swallows up other fears. Exodus chapter 1. The Hebrew midwives, it said they feared God. That's what it said about them. They feared God. And guess what? They had every reason to fear Pharaoh. When Pharaoh told them to do something and they knew they were going to disobey, they had every reason to fear him. That man could kill them, and yet their fear of God swallowed up the fear of men. And so they could obey God and not men, even though it could have meant their lives. The fear of the Lord. So it's a, it's, it is a... A disposition towards God, an, an emotion, a, an affection towards God, the fear of the Lord. But I also want you to understand this. It's something you must choose. We see that in chapter 1, verse 29 of Proverbs. It says, this, listen to this rebuke. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. He said, you don't fear God. He says, your fault. Your fault. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord is something that must be cultivated in our lives. Brothers and sisters, we must cultivate in our lives. We'll talk about this more later. But we must cultivate in our lives the fear of God. Choose the fear of God by cultivating that in your life. Now, you see that in Proverbs chapter 2. Look at verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, you've got to understand what the if is. So you had an if statement, then you had a then. If you do this, verse 1 through 4, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. How? How can I cultivate this fear of God in my life? Well, go read verses 1 through 4. And it's a person that's given attention to the word of God, to the instructions of God. They're, they're leaned in to the scriptures, inclining their hearts to hear. They're praying to God for these things. They're seeking truth like hidden treasure. That's a person cultivating in their life the fear of the Lord. You see the same thing in Deuteronomy 17, verse 19. Where the king is told, the king is told to do this. Let this word, let your copy of the word, king, be with you, and he shall read it, read it, all the days of his life that he might learn to fear the Lord his God. Cultivating the fear of God by reading, digging into the word of God. There's other scriptures that say that too. We'll come back to that later. And so, brothers and sisters, we are commanded. So, so I hope you understand what the fear of God is. And we're commanded to fear God. This is not just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament thing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. It's a, it's a command that is not hard to understand. It's two words. Fear God. Isn't that easy to interpret? Fear God, Peter says to the New Testament people of God, to the church. So Grace Community Church, this is extremely important. This is the motto of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is, you know, Solomon wrote another book, Ecclesiastes. This is the conclusion of his other book. He says, this is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is man's all. In Ecclesiastes 12, 
13. It's very, very important. In fact, it's the goal of this meeting right now. Psalm 89, verse 7, it says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. A goal of this meeting is that we might be a people that fear God, that tremble in His presence because He's glorious and powerful in all that He is. Fear the Lord. I hope you understand it. Next phrase. The fear of the Lord, it says here, is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of knowledge. So think about that for a minute. So the fear of God, fearing God, is a basis for true knowledge. You understand that? Fearing God is the foundation on which on which men and women of wisdom are built. Fearing God is the root of the tree of wisdom. Fearing God is the beginning of knowledge. So think about what the alphabet is to reading. Think about that. Can you imagine the foolishness of someone trying to engage in reading, but they don't even know the alphabet? Now, you've, you've probably seen, you have children, little children, you've probably seen your children do that, right? They sit down, they see you reading, and they hear you reading out loud, and they sit down, and they got the book over, they don't even know A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and they're going, oh, uh, uh. you seen that? Now, that's cute for them, but as adults, <laughs> that ain't cute no more, right? And it's foolish, and that's what the fear of the Lord to knowledge and wisdom is what, is what the ABCs are to reading, it's what numerals are to mathematics. Can you imagine someone trying to do even basic math, but they don't even understand numbers yet? The fear of God is the beginning. It's the foundation for wisdom and knowledge. Now, this is huge to grasp, and I mean it. It's, it's a massive thing that you've got to lay hold of. It's going to affect your life tremendously. Uh, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and even look at the fall of man. And, and Satan tried to get Adam and Eve to get knowledge Without what? The fear of God. Hey, you can eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. You can stop fearing God and disobey Him and get knowledge. And it was a lie. It was a lie. Think about how salvation is talked about. Salvation in God's Word is, is spoken about as, as, as uh, going from darkness to light, from blindness to now I see, to deaf and now I hear. You understand that? This is a big deal that when you're blind, deaf, and you're in darkness, you can't have the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You can't have that. It's the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom that, that begins to open up your eyes to see clearly. Not just Sunday school knowledge, but everything in the world. As we saw, for example, in Solomon's life. Uh, there's a verse. <clears throat> I have to read it to you at some point. And I'll do it now. Colossians 2.3, listen to this. And I want to ask you if you believe this. Colossians 2.3 says, Christ, that's verse 2, the end of verse 2 says, Christ, listen, Christ, Jesus, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, do you believe that or not? In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's in Him. It begins in Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Notice that does not say that in Christ is all Sunday school answers or Sunday school knowledge. No, no. This is all of life, all wisdom and knowledge found in Him. You don't have it if you don't have Him, if you don't have the fear of God. So I think this is extremely important. Now, one question you might ask is why? 
And you could ask that question, why is it that the fear of the Lord is the basis for knowledge and wisdom? And I'm sure there's a lot of answers to that, but I'll give you one that's at the top of the list, and it's the depravity of man. Sometimes I think we don't realize how much our depravity, our sinfulness, our wickedness, we're born as children of wrath. We don't realize how much that really affects us. Listen to this. This is from, this is from the Grace Community Church doctrinal statement about the depravity of man. It says, mankind's depravity is pervasive, extending to the mind, will, and affections. That's true. Our depravity is so pervasive that it it extends to the mind. It affects the way you think. You don't think right. The will, what you do, you don't act right. And to the affections, you don't even feel right. This is how much the sin's depravity affects, affects humankind. And so this is our state without God. So I want you to think about that. So the blind, brothers and sisters, can't see. The deaf can't hear. The mute can't speak. And listen, those that don't fear God cannot be wise. Those that don't fear God cannot be wise. Proverbs 1.7. Cannot be wise. We need our eyes open to the omniscient one, the all-knowing one, the, uh, the one who has perfect wisdom in all areas. We need to come out of our darkness and see him and see his word clearly. And there's found true wisdom. Begins with the fear of God. And so, I got sort of a tricky question here. <clears throat> and I'll try to be quick. So here's a question. Someone who does not fear God. Someone who does not fear God. Can they possess pieces of sound knowledge and make some wise choices? People that do not fear God, can they possess pieces? Think about that question. Can they, they don't fear God, but can they possess pieces of sound knowledge and, and make some wise choices? And I bet most of you are thinking, yeah, and the answer is no. Then you read the verse. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. So no, they can't. Now, I need to explain that because I know some of the stuff probably going through your mind. But wait a minute, what about, you know, so let me try to explain that. I want you to think about it like this, okay? That no, they can't because he, here's the deal. They might get some little nugget, some little fact here, but it's completely divorced from the big picture of everything that God has designed. You understand that? And so therefore, it's not wise. Maybe they get this little fact right, but the big story of things is completely missing in those that don't fear God, so they can't understand it rightly. Okay, so maybe I'll give an example. A non-God-fearer, someone that doesn't fear God, can they make uh, right observations about the creation that they live in? Can they? And the answer is, in a sense, yeah. But in a real big sense, and this is what I'm going after, no, they can't. They can't. Now, here's what I mean. When God has designed creation, okay, because... This non-God fear, they can understand that, okay, that's a bird. That's a true fact, right? It's a bird. They see a bird, they go, that's a bird. They can even say that's this certain kind of bird. And they can even say this kind of bird migrates over here at this particular time. So there's, there's facts that they can get, but they miss the big picture of what this is all about. They miss the point of that fact. Therefore, they don't get it. They don't understand it. So, so let, me, let me try to uh, zero that in a bit. God is giving a speech 
Through creation, God is speaking. God's given a speech. You understand that? Think about Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Day after day utter speech. So through creation, God's given a speech. He's given a speech. Now listen, I want you to think about this. Imagine you gave a speech. Let's say you poured your life into it, you studied, you dug in, and you prepared a two-hour speech on some topic. A two-hour speech on the American Revolution. And you laid out the American Revolution. Two hours, man, you're walking through this speech. You're talking about the origins and what happened and what we can learn from it. You poured your life into this, and you talk to somebody right after, and they say, thanks for that, and now I know that George Washington was the first president. And you're like, Are you serious? Like, like, you got out of that whole speech, you got that. You missed the whole point. Listen to me. God is giving a speech through creation. When those that do not fear God get something right about one word, they're just as foolish. They're missing the whole point. They don't understand where it came from, and it is to the glory of the God that created it. They understand something about the bird, but don't see the beauty and glory of God in it. They don't get it. They don't get it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of true knowledge, of really getting it. Now, that same kind of thing can go for, for, for many things, right? Like, can, can a non-God-fear understand 2 plus 2 equals 4? 2 plus 2 equals 4. Yeah, of course they can. But they don't get, they don't get where, why? What are the laws, the invisible laws in place that makes that true? And where did it come from? They don't get that. And, and the fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4 on this side of the planet and the other side of the planet, and it'll equal that tomorrow, why is that true? Why is it so steady? Because God, this is for His glory. They don't see that, therefore they don't get it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. Maybe one more quick example would be somebody from a non God-fearing worldview, let's say an atheistic worldview, can they make a, a good, solid, moral choice? Or can they do a moral thing? Like, can they look at murder and say, murder is evil. It's not right, it's wrong. Or can they look at their daughter? Can a, someone from an atheistic worldview, they don't fear God, can they look at their daughter and love their daughter? Can they do that? And the answer is, yes, they can do that. But for them, that's foolishness. You know why? What do you call it when somebody professes something, but they cannot live it out? Now, many of you might have thought hypocrite, but that's not true. That's when you profess something, but you, but you won't live it out. But, but what does it mean when you profess something, but you literally can't live out what you profess? It, it's called foolishness. An example would be this. Somebody come to say, uh, friend, I don't believe in words. Now, you don't start trying to prove the existence of words, you just look at them like they're crazy and say, you just use words to tell me you don't believe in words. That's so foolish. You literally have to use words to make that profession. You're saying a profession, but you can't live it out. I don't believe in air. You don't believe in air. You literally are taking it in. You have to take it in to even make that profession. So it's foolishness to make a profession that you literally cannot even live out. Now think about that for a minute. From an atheistic worldview, what is, what is a moral standard? Nothing. It doesn't exist. Like if we're all just, just uh, 
uh, chemical reactions, you know, you're a chemical reaction, I'm a chemical reaction, everything's a chemical reaction, then, then if one chemical reaction snuffs out the life of another chemical reaction, it might be uncomfortable, but it's not right or wrong. It's not immoral. There is no moral standard in that worldview, and yet the atheist cannot help but live that out. You steal their car, they say it's wrong. They murder, say it's wrong. They can't help it because they're, they're, they're imaging God whether they like it or not. Same thing with love. Love does, in the non-fearing, uh, non-God-fearing worldview, atheistic worldview, love makes no sense. Your daughter looks at you and says, I love you, Daddy. No atheist looks back and says, oh, baby, you just got some chemical reactions going different than some others. That's it. No, no, he understands that across the world, love is a reality that can be seen. How do you understand it? In our worldview, with God as creator, morality and love makes sense, but with them it doesn't. But does that stop them from loving their daughters? Not normally. Because they can't help but live out the, the, the fact that they're created in the image of God. They profess one thing, but they can't live it out. It's foolish. So yes, they can make moral decisions that are seemingly wise, but because they're doing it, it's foolishness. They're doing something they don't even profess. And all this pushes us towards, listen, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Without it, fool. You're, you're, you, are, you are pushed in a position of fool if you do not fear God. Now I want to ask a slightly different question, and really this question is more it's more fitting for Proverbs 1 7. Okay? And it's this Can you be a person of knowledge, a person of wisdom, and not fear God? Is that possible? Now, now notice the difference. Earlier I asked, Can you have a piece of knowledge without the fear of God? Now I'm asking your character Can you be a person of knowledge and wisdom without? The fear of God. And the answer is no, of course not. Look at Proverbs 1 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, now, the reason I make, I say that question is more fitting is because the comparison in Proverbs 1 7 is not with knowledge and misinformation. The comparison is with knowledge and the fool. You see that? A fool is defined in Proverbs as someone that does not think right and they don't act right. They're not thinking right. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're not acting right. They're immoral, uh, morally corrupt. This is the fool. And that's what we're getting compared here. So are you a fool or are you, Proverbs 1.7, a person of knowledge, a person of wisdom? So can you be a person of knowledge and wisdom without the fear of God? And, and of course, Satan says, yeah, sure, come take, the, take from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Proverbs 1.7 says, No. Those who do not fear God and therefore do not root their thinking and their moral standards in God's word, Proverbs 1-7 calls them fools. Fools. So, I hope you understand Proverbs 1-7. Now what I want to do now is I want us to, I want us to look at some of the ways this applies, right? I want us to take Proverbs 1-7 and say, how does it apply to this sphere of life or Proverbs 1 7 how does it apply to this sphere of life and God willing we might make it through five of these quickly okay but I want you to think about that now, this is not this is not exhaustive there's a lot of other there's you know a lot of other uh ways you, you should probably you, you should apply Proverbs 1 7 to all areas of life and everything going on I would challenge you to do that but let me just give a few examples and see if it's helpful so number one number one Proverbs 1 7 
and lost humanity. How does the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, how does that relate to lost humanity? Lost humanity. And, and here's something you need to know, that in lost humanity, this is a major problem. Not fearing God is a major problem. Romans chapter, chapter 3, verse 18, this is the way it talks about un the unbelieving. It says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. They have no fear of God. This, this is the major problem, right? So they, they can process certain gospel facts, right? They can understand that, that, that Jesus is the Son of God incarnate, that, that God took on flesh and walked among us. They can understand that. They can understand why Jesus died, that Jesus went to the cross and he died for sinners. He, he was our sacrifice. He took our place there. They can understand, uh, you know, non-Godfears. They can understand fancy words like propitiation, right? That, that Jesus at the cross was the wrath-bearing sacrifice for our sins so that we don't have to take the wrath of God. They can understand all these facts, but without the fear of God, it's just intellectual stimulation. Without the fear of God, it's just intellectual stimulation. Now, this is what the Holy Spirit does. This is why every lost person in lost humanity needs the Holy Spirit to do what? To awaken in them the fear of God. John 16, verse 8, the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit brings about the, the conviction, the fear of God in their hearts that makes them flee to the cross. Lost humanity needs the fear of God to really understand gospel knowledge. Now, there's a verse in uh, Acts 16. You don't have to flip there. I'll read it quickly. About you Remember the Philippian jailer when he was converted? And it says this, Acts 16, 29. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And listen, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the Holy Spirit's work. Bringing about the fear of God. Awakening a fear of God in this man's life. And then saving his soul. And so I think the point here, something to walk away with is, lost humanity does not just need mere facts and knowledge. Now don't get me wrong. We need to be preaching the gospel facts, the gospel truth. We need to preach that. We're commanded to preach that. But, but Romans chapter 1 tells us that their problem is that ultimately knowledge. Romans 1 says they know God. He's clearly made it known. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, uh, atheists are sitting around going, we know he exists, but we're just not telling them. Okay? That's not the point. But, but innately in them, because of what's been designed, because of things we were talking about a moment ago, they know God. And it says that they suppress the truth. It's not that they can't get the truth, but they, they suppress it. Think of like a, taking a beach ball and trying to keep it underwater. You ever done that? You ever stop? It just pops right up, right? They're doing that with the truth constantly. So they don't just need knowledge. It's not, a, it's not an ignorance problem. It's a disobedience problem. It's a hatred of God problem, and they need the fear of the Lord. So what must we do? Brothers and sisters, preach the terrifying truths of the gospel and pray that God brings down the fear of God. The fear of himself on lost humanity. Number two, Proverbs 1-7 and the church. So how does the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge? How does that relate to the church? Uh, Christians, every Christian room, we must strive. Listen to me. We must strive 
to cultivate the fear of God in our lives. Okay? We, we must strive to, to, um, to be those that tremble before His Word and have reverence before God. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to go after that in our lives and not be numbed by sin. So Grace Community Church, brothers and sisters, do you fear God? Why don't you ask yourself that question? Do you tremble? As it says in Isaiah 66 too, do you tremble at His Word? Are you cultivating the fear of God in your life? Read it, read it, read it. All the days of your life that you might learn to fear Him. Are you cultivating by seeing God in His Word? Are you doing that? Are, are you pursuing the fear of the Lord in your life? Because we need to. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. If we don't, we'll be left as fools, according to God's Word. We'll be left as fools. I want to read just a couple verses about the church and the fear of the Lord. I love these descriptions. Acts 5.11, listen. It says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Isn't that beautiful? Great fear came upon the whole church. Acts 9.31 says this. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need to ask, oh God, the, the fear of you. This 1 Peter 2.17, fear God, fear of you. It's reverence and trembling before him would come upon his church. We need to pray about that. I think there's a constant pull in our world towards levity, lightness. Please, brothers and sisters, run from it. A lot of, a lot of talk, you know, talk about, you know, we've talked about this in the past, uh, Jesus is my homeboy stuff. It's levity, nonsense. Or pray, you're praying to God as, uh, Daddy, here I am. Just, just no, no reverence, just lacking a reverence towards God. Beware of it, run from it. God calls us to hear the fear of the Lord, not casual approaches to Him. Number three, Proverbs 1-7 and the evangelist. So how does the fear of, the, fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, how does that, how does that uh, relate to evangelist? Now by evangelist here, I just mean not this formal term of, a, of an office, but I mean uh, all of us are called to be evangelists in the sense that we're all called to evangelize. We're all called to make the gospel known in a dark world. Brothers and sisters, preach the gospel. So how does Proverbs 1-7 relate to us in our evangelism? So here's the things we know. We know that salvation is more than a mental affirmation of gospel facts. Right? Salvation is not gospel fact, gospel fact, check, 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 check. I, I agree. It's, it's not that, according to the scripture. Okay? We, know, we know that a, a gospel knowledge or a saving gospel knowledge has to begin with the fear of the Lord, the Holy Spirit bringing about the conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Since we know those things, what's our job as evangelists? Do we need to get gospel information out? Absolutely we do. But listen, our job as evangelists is to bring unholy men before a holy God and awaken in them the fear of God. Acts 24, I love this example. I'll read it to you. 24 verse 24 says, 
After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul. Paul was in prison. And he sent for Paul. Paul, come here. And heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. And listen to this. Felix was alarmed. (laughs) So this man heard Paul the Apostle preach about these things, and it says Felix was awakened in his fear. He was alarmed. So I think, what's the takeaway? Brothers and sisters, we want to be solid evangelists to get the gospel knowledge out, and part of that is bringing unholy men before a holy God, awakening in them a fear of God. How do you do that? Don't forsake preaching the terrifying truths of the gospel. They're terrifying truths. Truths about judgment, truths about hell, truths about our sin that so many people want to neglect because it's not comfortable. Don't neglect that. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Preach it and ask God to bring about fear, a true fear of God in those who hear you. Number four, Proverbs 1-7 and parenting. Proverbs 1-7 and parenting. What is The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. What does that have to do with parenting children? Now I want us to consider specifically a parent's responsibility to educate their children, to give their children an education. Okay, By that I mean what I see in Proverbs, the wisdom, the knowledge that we see in the book of Proverbs. So for Christian parents, I want you to think about this, non-negotiable, you must... Christian parents, you must give your children a, 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 an education rooted in the fear of God and saturated with the fear of God. You must give them that. Why? Because Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. And, and, and without the fear of God, you have no true education. You've got to give them an education rooted in and saturated in the fear of God, according to Proverbs 1-7, or you give them no education at all. It says the same thing over in Ephesians 6-4. It specifically says fathers, so fathers listen up. Fathers, bring up your children in the training and admonition, that's education, the training and admonition, listen, of the Lord. Bring your children up in the train, fathers, bring them up in the training and in the admonition of the Lord. You must give them a, an education saturated in the fear of God. It's a command from God's word. I think so often in this culture, those things get divided as if education is just this neutral thing and that Christian children can receive the same godless, secular, what secular means godless education that the lost world gives. And it's not true. Proverbs 1-7 says they won't get it. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, hear me out. I'm not talking about methods here. People do this with different methods, and praise God for that, that the methods aren't always the same. But here's what, here's what has to remain with every Christian. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Give your children knowledge and wisdom. Impart it to them in a way that is rooted, rooted in the fear of the Lord. How can they rightly understand mathematics or science or history or philosophy or anything if it's not, if it's not rooted in the fear of God? They can't. They can't. Understand it according to Proverbs 1-7. And so I want you to feel really quick, I want you to feel the importance of this, okay? Feel the importance of this. Remember how we said the book of Proverbs has this sort of youth lean, right? 
Verse, chapter 1, verse 4 says to the youth to impart knowledge and wisdom and discretion and prudence to the youth, right? And, and what's it leading them toward? And you read the book of Proverbs and it's leading them towards this, this life that's, that's uh, full of peace and, and, and prosperity, not in godless uh, uh, prosperity gospel sense. I don't mean that, but in the sense of the normal rhythm of life, of peace, of prosperity, the goodness of life. Whereas to not fear God and disobey God is leading towards no peace, okay, no prosperity, none of that, criminality, all that's what it's leading to. That's the way Proverbs lays out in his generalities, okay, if you understand that. So, so I want you to think about that for a minute, geared towards the youth to get them this certain sort of life or to lead them in this direction of a life of wisdom and goodness. Think about that. Now, there's some statistics that many uh, people know about, about fatherlessness, right? And again, I want you to think about this. A lot of people talk about um, how this specific statistic, it, it, actually, it actually is one that people agree on across the board. Like all these different areas, this is like a statistic people agree on, that, that when the father's not there in the family, the father's not involved, that it, that it, that it produces, I mean, to amazing degrees, all this stuff of criminality and lack of peace and... and, and, and a life in catastrophes, what it so often produces. So what does that tell you? What, do you, what does that highlight? The importance of the father, the importance of parents in the home, in their children's life. Now think about Proverbs. Proverbs is saying, youth, in this direction, this good life to the glory of Jesus Christ, what is moving you toward? And what is the first nine chapters full of? My son, listen to your father's instruction. My son, listen to your father's instructions. Fifteen times, and you highlight the importance. Brothers and sisters, please, especially fathers, hear this. The importance of you and the life of your son or your daughter. That they might fear God and truly walk in wisdom. It's massively important. Massively important. Now, if you're here, and I know this is in our church, but I don't know who, who's all in this this service as opposed to the next one but if you're here and you are a fatherless child or you're a single mother i want you to understand these things but don't be discouraged by them you know why because god's not limited to any of them you understand that like he is not limited to that and you have god as your father when my mother and father forsake me the psalm says god will take me up so don't be discouraged but understand the push here is parents Please give your children an education. You must. It's rooted and saturated with the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And last one I'll mention quickly, number five, Proverbs 1-7 and politicians. Proverbs 1-7. What does the fear of God as the beginning of knowledge have to do with how does it relate to politicians? Do we have any politicians here? I didn't think we would, but might. No? So this, this might be information to you of how to pray, how to vote, or maybe you should go run for office. We'll see. Proverbs 1-7 to politicians. Listen, we need politicians that fear God, that truly fear God. Why? Proverbs 1-7, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. L- listen to these other verses. 2 Samuel 23, verse 3. It says this. This is uh, David's dying words. This is literally his last words. King David. He was a politician. And it says this. His dying words, part of his dying words are, The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, 
when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. How do they rule justly over men? They rule in the fear of God. You can see the same thing over in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 15. Listen to this. Nehemiah says, The former governors, as politicians, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so. Why? I did not do so because of the fear of God. They didn't fear God, therefore they're unjust. But Nehemiah says he is just and it's rooted in the fear of God. So we need politicians, governors, etc., whatever, that fear the living God. Think about what that will do. The fear of God will lead them to sound knowledge. Sound knowledge because of Proverbs 1-7. Sound knowledge will lead them to hate injustice. Just to give an example, like abortion, to truly hate it, not just have it on the ticket as pro-life, but to truly hate it. It'll move them to despise injustices like the murder of preborn children. They'll, they'll truly despise it and they'll labor to end it. I'm just giving that as an example. But what's it rooted in? They must be those who fear God. And so, just to be short there, brothers and sisters, pray, vote, go run for office, but those who fear the Lord. And let's ask God to do that. Let me stop there. As you can see, this is not exhaustive. I encourage you, I challenge you to take Proverbs 1-7 and to see how many areas of your life you can apply it into. Okay? Because it applies to all areas of life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this scripture and these words. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out on Grace Community Church the fear of, the fear of you. God, that we would be those that are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at your word. God, please keep us from levity, flippancy in approaching you, God, or casualness with your word, God. Please keep us from these things. And make us those that truly fear you, God, and truly walk in the knowledge and wisdom, God, that, that you supply. Lord, thank you so much that for so many in this room, you awakened us. Early on, God, you awakened us to a fear of you and a fear of the judgment to come. And you saved our souls through that. You led us to the cross where you died for sinners. Thank you so much. Help us to grow in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise
loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And we all say, 